1: Goodbye
0: the University. Hi, everyone. This is Janet um, I Thank you. I want to say a thank you to Jeanette for letting me come and play at GVU. It's always such a pleasure because you guys, you guys are the best party in town, definitely. Um, my, uh, Janet Dalglish, for those who don't know me who are listening to the recording, uh, I'm sometimes known as the brain whisperer. I've been studying law of attraction for over a decade, and a few years ago, I stumbled across uh, some of the stuff around the brain science and realized that it's a match for the law of attraction knowledge that we have and it got me really interested in exploring aspects of brain science and how it relates to the subjects that we're talking about in the law of attraction world and especially here at GVU and I'm especially interested in the relationship between our brain and our inner guidance because I think it can be a little misunderstood and I don't think that that serves us particularly well. So. I thought it might be fun to to do a bit of exploring about what the current research is, and um, and look at how we can perhaps reframe this relationship, so that we can find the find a way to think about it that serves us a little better. And certainly, this has worked for me, so I, I thought it would be helpful to share. Um, and again, for those who don't know my work, and most of you who are on the call live, you've heard this before, so bear with me. But I want to make sure it's in the recording for those who aren't familiar with it. <clears throat> And so I'll start with a bit of a wrap-up on why the brain science lights me up so much. And uh, and just to let you know, if if you want to know more about this, I have a book about it, which you can grab, um, and I'll talk about it at the end of the call. Um, But basically, what we know about the brain now, we have learned so much in the last 20 years. So everybody over the age of 20 was raised in a world where Pretty much everything we thought we knew about the brain was wrong, just about all of it. Not quite all of it, but a huge chunk of it, especially about how the brain works. We knew a lot about the anatomy, but we didn't really understand how it works and what it's capable of. Um, So the first thing to understand is that all of our conscious awareness of reality... Both internal and external, is delivered to us by the brain, including our awareness of our own bodies. So, and we know some of this from the pain research. We know, for example, you know, we used to think that when we cut our finger, a pain sensor in our finger sent a message to the brain. It doesn't work like that at all. There's a danger sensor in the finger that sends a signal to the brain, and the brain then delivers the experience of pain to get us to pay attention to the danger. So it's a complete rethink of how everything works um and this is our first clue I think it the brain is like our conduit it's the way we become consciously aware of all the messages we're getting uh and and I will dive into that a bit uh, a bit later on in more detail. Um, the other thing I want to uh just remind everyone of is the brain receives approximately 11 million bits of information per second. Now, obviously, 11 million bits of information per second, there's no way we could possibly comprehend that, process it. Um, and normally, the brain can process and deliver about 40 bits per second. And the obvious question is, how does it choose? And it decides what to deliver to us based on a mixture of memory and belief. So fundamentally, this is simplifying it a lot And if you're interested, there are some other calls I've done in the archives that will go into this in more detail. But basically, the brain chooses evidence for what we already, quote unquote, know to be true. And mostly, this is a highly efficient system. So, for example, we don't want to have to relearn how traffic moves around us or how to make our favorite dish in the kitchen or whether we like red wine or not. It's useful to have this set of parameters that says, this is what the truth is, this is how the world works, because we rely on those in our everyday life. But the problem arises when the story or the belief includes some kind of limitation that doesn't line up with our true self, our true desire. So for example, if the beliefs are things like life is hard, money is scarce, um, then our brain is similarly going to deliver those realities because that's... What it's we've tr- kind of trained it to do that. Um, and the the part that's brand new, or the the big part that got me excited, is the the new understanding that the brain is plastic, highly changeable, malleable, and we change it through our thoughts and activities. So when we change our thoughts, we change our reality. And if that's not LOA summed up in a nutshell, I don't know what it is. So you can see why I got so excited about this. Um, so that's my that's my wrap-up. Does any Is anybody on the call who's got any questions about that or are you guys all pretty familiar with this sort of context? It's great for the reminder, so thank you. Okay, cool. Thank you. Sometimes it's useful to remind myself as well. <laughs> um, so the first thing I want to do when we're thinking about inner guidance is to tease out a couple of myths uh, or not – well, maybe not. Well, no, they are myths I, they, or a couple of stories, common stories, common stories that we – that we might hear a lot of. The first one is the notion that our brain is somehow the enemy of inner guidance. Um, and, you know, you'll hear people use the use language like, I want to access my inner guidance, but my brain is chattering so loud I can't hear it. And I totally get that. But I think what's happening is that we're mistaking one aspect of our brain for the whole thing. And I, I, I'd like us to expand our understanding of what brain means. Um and start to give it the credit for that it deserves for for what it can deliver. So and in this particular context I want to say I think we get to choose. Um so there's a there's a story going on here and we know that our story shapes our reality. So I'd like a better story about my brain for sure. So that we we get to choose either brain is the enemy of our connection to inner guidance or well, that doesn't seem particularly helpful or or pleasant and I've got to say, that sounds like a really flawed system. I can't imagine that we arrived on the planet and went, great, I've got this brain that's going to help me interface with the world, and uh, and it's going to be my enemy. Well, That, that doesn't sound particularly useful to me. Um, so that's not a story I would choose. There's too much resistance there. Uh, we could switch our brain off. Well, that's not an option because that basically means we're dead. So where's the fun in that? I mean, obviously, that's going to happen at some point, but I've got. I'm having too much of a good time right now. Um, and the third option is that we bring our brain on side in this relationship with our inner guidance. And I think that's where the juice. That's where that we're going to find the juice. And it turns out that the, res, the the research supports that third story. And I think that's really helpful. And I will talk about it in a second. The other uh, kind of languaging that we hear around um, around the, the topic of kind of inner guidance, um, brain, mind, all of that, there's a, a, this notion that there's the head versus the heart. Um, and in this context what we're usually saying is we're using head to refer to analytical, logical mind and we're using heart to refer to our intuition, our, our, our instinct, not our instinct, that's more kind of visceral, but our, uh, our intuitive insights which are part of our link to inner guidance. So I'm going to clarify some of the terminology that I will be using as we talk about this today. When I talk about the brain, I'm talking about the kilo and a half, the three pounds of squishy stuff that lives in our skull. I'm not using brain as a a replacement word for intellect or mind or ego or willpower, none of those things because that's a very narrow part of the brain. and I think that's the first step in shifting this perspective, so we've got this squishy thing that lives in our heads, and it does a whole lot of different things. the, the other term I like to use is consciousness because I think this is a a really useful term for the ineffable self. Um, there's a really nice little bit of um, demonstration that was done, a really elegant demonstration in the 1930s. A researcher by the name of Wilder Penfield um, did an experiment where uh, he did this at a at a uh, like a a lecture and what he did was he simula- he stim- sorry not simulated he stimulated the motor cortex in his human volunteers brain so he had this human volunteer he stimulated this cortex in a way that made the the subject's arm muscles respond and when he asked the subject what just happened the subject said my arm moved because the muscles you know contracted and it made his arm move Penfield then directed his subject to raise his arm and again asked what happened. This time the subject said, I moved my arm. And that moment of that distinction between the choice to move my arm, it's my arm and I'm moving it, and my arm moved. That is the distinction between consciousness and brain. And it's worth exploring here, just teasing out for a minute, because I don't want to kind of pretend that. All of the neuroscientists are saying the same thing. They're not. There are two schools of thought amongst neuroscientists, and you don't have to dig very hard to figure out which one I belong to. Not that I'm a scientist, but you know what I mean. Um, the old school of thought says that consciousness is merely a byproduct of the little sparks and signals that are going on in our, all the time in our brains. The newer and growing school of thought says that consciousness comes first. Um, And the the really compelling argument here is the fact that by choosing different thoughts, we can literally and physically change our brains. So consciousness comes before the physical matter of the brain and it comes before the connections in the brain. We can reshape neural pathways. We can reshape the chemical balance of our brain. We can do all of those things by choosing different thoughts and somebody has to be running that show and that's where consciousness comes in. So in effect... We humans are the users of our brains, and that's why—that's how we get to choose how we bring our brain on board as an ally in connecting to inner guidance. Any questions? Any conversations I should know about?
2: <laughs> uh, this is Nancy. Yeah, there's nothing in chat. Everybody's wrapped listening to what you're okay. saying, and and I was just going to say it's oh. interesting when you say humans are the users of our brain um it uh, suddenly it kind of reminded me of the book uh, journey of souls where michael newton uh was he was uh, uh, interviewing you know hypnotizing some people and they were coming back and telling him that when a uh, child you know when a when the spirit of a child enters the human body the very first thing that has to happen is to sync up with the brain and they said wow. that F- Every single brain is completely different. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. That, so, yeah. the, so, so the energy of the being entering the child's body, the, the fetus's body, has to sync up with the brain, so that they, when they're born, they're capable of moving their arm, or drinking their mother's milk, or you know, crying, or what have you.
0: So yeah. well wow, that. Fantastic! Thank you so much for that, Nancy. I hadn't heard that before, and it totally makes sense to me. That it's it's our interface. It's our interface between our consciousness and everything, you know, that we experience. Um, And I think as as we go through this, will sort of uh, I want to build a case. I want to build a case for why the brain is an ally when it comes to connecting to inner guidance. So. So I'm going to start, and that that sort of feeds into it really, really well. Uh, and you talked about how every, you know, this idea that every brain is different. Absolutely, we have more neural potential, neural connections. So we've got all these brain cells; they're called neurons, and uh, they connect to each other through dendrites, and they do so, so with little chemical messengers, and. Every brain has more than one dendrite. Sorry, every brain, every cell, every neuron has more than one dendrite. So it can connect to multiple other cells. And what you get with all of these millions and millions and millions of brain cells is that you have the potential for so many different neural connections and neural pathways. And the brain can change those. At, at, you know, as we decide to make those changes, uh, whether it's, you know, learning a violin or, or reframing our story around money, it's all part of changing those neural pathways. And there are more potential neural pathways in a human brain than there are known stars in the universe. And that kind of blows me away that mm. we know that we know about billions of, of stars and yet we hold more potential connections inside our little skulls than there are out there in the universe. And you can see why I get excited about this stuff. <laughs> so let's have a look at... The brain has two quite distinct operating systems, and this is a. there are lots of different ways to look at systems within the brain, but this one I think is useful for the conversation today. These two different operating systems, we, the first system is it's quick, it's instinctual, it feels subconscious to us because it happens the processes happen below our level of awareness or above our level of awareness, whichever way you want to think about it. It dwells in the right brain and also parts of the more primitive limbic systems, so, which are familiar to us as the fight or flight or reptilian, sometimes called reptilian brain. And this is often referred to as intuition um, or insight within the world of neuroscience. Um, from an experiential point of view, it feels like a sudden download or a flash of insight or a, it's that moment of going, whoa, where did that come from? Um, the, so that's the first system. The second system is a slower and more analytical conscious system. It dwells in the left brain and the largely modern neocortex. So we have this neocortex, which is unique to modern human, to, to modern humans. Well, yes, unique to humans and, uh, and it's, um, we there are some primates who share that, but it works in a different way or it's not as big. Um, anyway, we refer to this as the logical mind and, and it grasps things in a linear step-by-step way. And studies have shown that the first system, the, this more intuitive system, kicks in well before the second system. And this is what we want. Our ancestors used that intuitive mind to avoid danger. We're all really familiar with the thing about the tiger in the undergrowth and how the instincts kick in to sort of save us before things go pear-shaped. But equally, and sometimes overlooked, they, our ancestors, and we do it too, we use intuition to sense where we can be safe. So we have this built-in and older system that helps us understand how to be safe. So I want to, I want to, uh talk about a couple of experiments which I think really demonst- demonstrate really well how powerful our intuition and how how slow we can be to pay attention to it especially if we're operating in a kind of unaware way or and I don't think anyone else here would be but if we don't appreciate what's possible I think this is where there's some juice to be teased out so there was one study where researchers were, they asked their subjects to play a card game where the goal was to min, win the most money. What the subjects didn't know is that the game was rigged, and just as a side note here, if anybody ever to ask you to participate in one of these studies, just know that whatever they tell you they're trying to study, it's not. There's always some hidden agenda, and they keep it secret so that you don't so it doesn't um, interfere with the results anyway. It's just a side note.) Um, So there were two decks of cards to choose from. One was rigged so that it would provide big wins followed by big losses, while the other was set up to provide small wins but hardly ever any losses. So over time, obviously, that second deck would become much more profitable and was therefore safer. It took about 50 cards before the subjects said that they had a hunch about which deck was the safer one to play. And about eighty cards before they could actually explain the difference between the two decks, before they could finally figure out what it was. But what's most interesting is that after only ten cards, the sweat glands on their hands opened slightly every time they reached for a card in the dangerous deck. It's like their bodies they knew they knew before their consciousness became aware well, their conscious mind, sorry. Wrong use of consciousness before their conscious awareness and their logical mind became aware of what was going on their intuition kicked in and and knew that one deck was safer than the other Ooh. long before their analytical brain could explain what was going on
2: i've yeah. never heard that one before that is so cool
0: yeah it isn't is. that cool it, and, and, um,
2: and it, it's showing too that that the body gets the information before necessarily the the mind. And I'm when I say mind, I don't mean brain, but I mean yes,
0: you know, the Logical, intuitive mind.
2: Yeah, or the and the intuitive mind where yeah, the, uh, yes, the information appears as words in your head. You know,
0: when this you is what's so interesting. Yeah. I, is, yeah, is that actually the the reaction of the sweat glands? Happens as a result of the intuitive brain spotting what's going on long before the conscious logical brain. So it's like the brain spotted, the intuitive brain spotted it, sent a signal to the body to say, that's a dangerous pack, don't go near that one. And the body responded, and then the conscious mind kind of, you know, came to the party a lot later. Um, wow. There was another. There was another uh, study that was done, which again it was about people's ability to predict whether a picture was behind, you know, curtain one or curtain two. Except they weren't literal curtains. It was done on a computer, so it was a virtual thing. And like with the card study, the researchers also me- measured subtle physiological responses. And what they found was that the the subjects. Um, bodies predicted the correct c- curtain two to three seconds before the computer had decided which curtain to use. Now, that one that one amazes me even more than the first one. It's like we, we have this capacity to time travel uh, when we lean into that intuitive sense. And both of the studies basically said, if you're a gambler and you want to be able to predict what's behind a certain card, then you need to work on heightening your sense of intuition to a degree that you can recognize when the sweat glands on your palm have opened up. That sense of going, okay, I'm going to start noticing how my body is responding. Because in a very, very short period of time, I've got my my intuitive brain noticing what's happening, it's getting my body to respond, and I can trust that response. Um, You know, the people who were um, with the card game the subject actually started to favor the safer deck without being consciously aware that they were doing so. So they actually started responding to their bodies before they became aware that they were doing so. So it's this sense of the more I consciously pay attention to my intuition and act upon it and trust it, the more uh, facile I will become. My brain will change so that my conscious mind is more easily able to um, trust my intuitive, intuitive brain. And that Absolutely lights me up i don 't know about you guys that 's pretty exciting it 's pretty cool stuff isn 't it? So then I thought it would be really fun to look at what happens in the brain when we have that spark of intuition and there has been some research done around this, um, especially in the area of creativity research and one of the because one of one of the um, one of the ingredients I, I think i've said on another call that the left brain right brain model is not the full story when we're looking at creativity because the left brain has to come in and, and turn the, the, the imagined idea into something, into words or a painting or whatever it might be. But what, when we look at, at, the, at one particular aspect of creativity and that is insight, there is a clear difference between left brain and right brain. And this is, uh, so insight is, this is, again, it's this intuit, intuition system within the brain so there's a, a word game that you can play that you can solve either through analysis or through insight. And you usually don't know how you've solved it until afterwards, but it's quite easy to pick which way you've solved it. Um, and so the researchers had people play this word game and they wore, um, you know, the um, electroencephalograph type sensor on their, you know, cap full of sensors on their scalps as they did it. So that researchers could work out where where the brain was lighting up as they were going through it. And then they would solve the puzzle and then they would report whether they did it through analysis or insight because it's quite, from a subjective point of view, we kind of know how we did it after the event. <clears throat> and what they discovered is that the part of the brain where insight occurs, in that moment, that flash of insight, is it's called the anterior superior temporal gyrus which basically means it's on the side of your head, (laughs) and we have one on each side. Um, We have one on each side. During a flash of insight, the one on the left doesn't really react, but on the right side, there's a striking, it's like a spike of high-energy gamma brainwaves. And what's what's really, so we we know that the flash of insight just goes bang, and it's like a little explosion of light in our head. But what's really interesting to me is what happens just before that flash of insight, and they've they've done this research using functional MRIs so that because that helps us to understand when something happens. There's a sequence. so the gamma wave spikes it feels like it's popping this new insight into our awareness. You know one minute's there, it's not there, Bang, the next minute it is. and half a second before that happens. A burst of alpha waves comes from the back of our head on the right in an area of the brain that relates to our visual cortex. And we know that alpha waves reflect, um, it's like a a part of the brain shutting down. It's it's sort of an indication that part of the brain has just gone, I'm going to have a sleep now. It's as though our brain is blinking. It's like in that moment before the insight comes through, our brain has to blink. It's it's almost as though, and, and the subject's, um, when they've looked at this, they've had the subjects in a situation where they can't close their eyes. It's like that short little shutdown in our visual cortex um, allows the insight to bubble up. Like we need neurological darkness for a fraction of a second to see that spark. Uh, so it's apparent that when our direction, when our attention is um, allowed to be free of distractions we're more likely to solve problems or to to, to approach life using insight rather than through mere logic and analysis because insight gives us access to a whole lot of different things than logic does. And what I think is really interesting about this is that uh, it's that sense of if I want to access my intuition, if I want to access inner guidance, knowing that this is how my brain does it for me even in, you know, even if I'm running around completely unaware of any of this stuff, and I'm not paying attention to inner guidance in any way, shape, or form, my brain still knows how to do this. If I can actually bring on board things that help me to do that, I'm going to increase that a uh, uh, connection to in in inner guidance and intuition much more readily. This is why meditation is so powerful. Not necessarily the sitting down with your eyes closed meditation, although obviously eyes closed is helpful, but also things like dog walks where we're only thinking about that one thing and we're not really thinking about, we're not consciously trying to figure stuff out or, um, it, it's a kind of mindfulness. It's a, it's a, it's a paying attention to something that's, um, pleasurable, relaxed, uh, kind of zen there's that zen quality to it and it turns out that that's exactly what's happening in our brain our brain is doing this little tiny micro zen blink um any questions
2: um yeah i had a question i I wondered if you could summarize for us again what the difference is between the left brain and the right brain for the insight and the intuition because wasn't when you were describing it i kind of got lost
0: Okay, so right brain is where our intuitive right it, it's our, it's, the, it's about the two systems the the first system, which is our intuitive system, dwells in the right brain and also part of the limbic brain, the older more primitive brain, so it's linked to not just the fight or flight but also our capacity to sense what is safe so it's 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 um it's got this kind of nonlinear um it, 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 when we get that intuition, it's like it came out of nowhere, and it's linked to our body's ability to um, to respond to scenarios before our conscious mind kicked in. The second system, the logical, analytical, intellectual system, is a linear in its in how it perceives the world, and it's um, it lives in our in our left brain and in our neocortex so that 's why our, neocor- our neocortex is the piece that allows us to make a decision about what to do with an emotion, for example um, it doesn 't it, 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 so having it on side is really helpful, so those two systems work together um, we, know we kind of bounce back and forward between the between the two. Insight seems to be very clearly located in the right brain in this um, uh, anterior superior temporal gyrus that we know that when somebody is playing that game and answering a question using insight, that's where they're doing it. Um, And we know that just before that flash of insight, similarly on the right side of the brain, there's a a flash that comes from the back of the brain to shut the brain down, shut down its visual processing. It's like a blink. So it cuts out the distractions. Because the left brain, the logical brain, because it's the, the linear part of us, if you like, it has to cope with the reality of day-to-day existence i'm using my left brain to to talk and you're using yours to listen and comprehend um there's some right brain stuff going on as well but the linear part of this conversation is left brain so sometimes it's a bit hard for our right brain to be heard over the the constant managerial aspects of the left brain which is kind of managing our progress through you know second by second time dependent life um, so that's one of the that's one of the reasons that um understand I, I think that understanding this is sort of helpful for us in in creating our own connection to inner guidance because we get to understand how those uh relationships work a bit is that sort of yeah
2: so yeah, so I'm wondering, so if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is the right side of the brain creates this flash that momentarily shuts down the left side of the brain? So no. That,
0: it, no, it shuts down our visual processing.
2: Our visual uh, it, processing.
0: It, yeah. What side of the brain
2: handles that?
0: Both. We have visual okay. processing. on. It's a massive area at the back of the brain on both sides okay. um, because we require both left and, brain, uh, and right brains to, in order to make sense of our visual processing. Um, uh, be, and, and the next piece, I think the next piece will help to clarify this and to, to sort of make sense of it because the the other part that I think is really helpful to understand is, so remember I said the two systems. We've got one that's sort of linear, detailed, step-by-step, and the other one is um, non-linear, and it's kind of like things just pop into awareness. These two parts of our brain can't do each other's job. Our left brain can't do intuition, and our intuitive brain can't do logic. So... Uh, and we know we know about this from, from uh, lot, lots of research into people who've got brain injuries of one sort or another. Um, it, it's certainly true, just as a caveat, that for somebody who's had a stroke, for example, that's damaged one side of the brain, they can relearn things and they can use part of the You can actually, if we need to, we can take up real estate in the brain. That is normally assigned to left, right brain. We can actually take up real estate and retrain it to work like the other side, the other hemisphere. But that's generally only going to happen when we have a particular need to do so. So for example, um, there are now a number of kids, uh, more kids than adults probably, um, who were born blind and therefore the the vast real estate that would normally be taken up for visual processing, it's being used now for kids who've learnt to do echolocation. So, you know, the kids who sort of, they, like bats do, they use clicking to navigate their way around the world. Um, and there are adults learning to do this. And generally speaking, uh, the part of the brain that's doing the processing for them is the part that would normally be processing vision. So it's just that that real estate's been taken up for something else. Uh, but one thing we do know, and this is again this is pretty new stuff, is that the neurons on the left logical side and the right intuitive side they differ from each other very subtly in how they connect and branch to other neurons. Now remember I said that neurons connect through dendrites to these little imagine that a neurons basically a long cell, and at one end it's got a receptor or sort of a it receives information at the other end it, it gives out information and The dendrites which it uses to connect, it's got more than one. Uh, But what's interesting is that the left hemisphere neurons, so remember this is logical, step-by-step linear, the dendrites are shorter, which is great for pulling in information from just nearby. Right hemisphere neurons branch more widely and they collect from much further-reaching sources of input. And I think this is one of the clues to how we... Begin to tell that story of our brain as an ally because what the right brain can do is connect to everything, connect to all that is. It's our connection to the sense of oneness with the universe because it it is able to reach so much further. Every brain cell can literally and physically reach further in its connections than the brain cells on the left side of the brain. Um, And one of the things I think is that's really helpful to look at is... um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jill Bolte Taylor. Uh-huh.
2: She was a bra- yeah.
0: she was a bra- yeah yeah her, I, and if you've seen her TED talk it's fantastic and I'll, I'll I'll put a link in the forum to the um to the TED talk cuz it's worth looking at. She was a brain anatomist at Harvard uh, and she experienced a stroke which caused massive damage in the left side of her brain. And while she was going through recovery she could only experience brain she could only experience the world through her right brain and it ga- she she talks about it as her stroke of insight that's the name of her book and she de- and she describes what the right of what, what the right brain experience of reality is like i'm going to quote this because i can't paraphrase it she says it so well and i think it's worth thinking about this in terms of you know this idea that we have in law of attraction world where everything is energy. Um, this, some of the language here really resonates for me with that. Uh, so this is just talking about how her right how the right brain works, and this was all she could experience at the time, following immediately following her injury. Information in the form of energy streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory systems, and then it explodes into this enormous collage of what this present moment looks like what this present moment smells like and tastes like, what it feels like and what it sounds like. I am an energy being connected to the energy all around me through the consciousness of my right hemisphere. We are energy beings connected to one another through the consciousness of our right hemispheres as one human family. And right here, right now, we are brothers and sisters on this planet here to make the world a better place. And in this moment, we are perfect, we are whole, and we are beautiful. Oh, now, I, can, I, can, I can't I can say that that's without amazing. goosebumps. I mean, massive goosebumps. It's a beautiful description, and I think it sums up how it feels in those ineffable moments where we are connected to source. And it's worth remembering that in order for Jill Balty-Taylor to dress herself, to get herself to the venue, to write and deliver that talk with the words in the right order, she needed to recover the abilities of her left brain because right brain can... Do all of that, and in order to then do something with that, we need to bring left brain into the mix because right brain can't do linear. It can't do that that work of taking action on inner guidance, of implementing. It can't do the work of. So if I get a, a you know that um, uh, this this notion of um, Using inner guidance. Jeanette, I know you've been doing this of saying, okay, what feels better next? You get the flash of intuition. You get the insight. You get the message from inner guidance. You get the the idea. But then you've got to do something with it. And it's left brain that makes you stand up and go and get a piece of chocolate. Or it's mm-hmm. left brain that makes you, that, that helps you. You use left brain to write that blog post that, that's inspired by that idea. You use left brain to... Take the dogs for a walk. You, Whatever it is that you do to implement that, it, you do with your left brain. And the more that you do those two things in, in sort of in sync with each other, the more you're retraining your left brain so that it becomes a willing partner rather than this kind of wary, distrustful, well, logic says, maybe I shouldn't trust that. So uh, as you do this more and more, and I'd be interested to hear your how that experiment's gone for you, Jeanette, whether the more you've done it, the more comfortable and easy it's Mm -hmm. become to take those actions and to trust to to what it is that inner guidance is saying. Well,
1: I certainly wouldn't have known that's why it becomes more natural and habitual and easy, but it makes a lot of sense. I'm really glad to hear you say that because you're right, I think it does. Um, It does give us, it does a variety of things for us, gives us inspiration to continue the process and yep. <laughs> um, and a reason to
0: believe in it. Uh exactly. And I think that um you know if if we if if because like I said we're the users of our brain and if our brain has if our left brain has formed the habit of because brains can form habits. if our brains are full of habits. Um if our left brain has formed the habit of mistrusting in a guidance. Knowing how this works is one of the ways we can help soothe it while we're retraining it. So it's a little bit wow. like, you know, trying to teach a a, a, a reluctant three year old um you you need to soothe their fears of what it is they're learning. Um I was in a I was in a shop recently a a a a pharmacy where they take um they take they also take passport photos and there was this woman with her little boy and they were trying to take his photo, and every time the the, the you know the shop assistant put the camera to her face to take the photo, the kid would scream, and eventually the mum just gave up and said, look, we'll come back later. And as they were walking out, this poor kid was sort of trailing behind his mum, and he was just clearly in some distress, not freaking out, but trying to explain himself. And he said to her, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And all he needed... I think, I mean, you know, I'm not a parent and I didn't want to interfere, obviously you don't, but I really wanted to say to her, look, just explain to him, he doesn't have to do anything, his job is to sit there and look at the camera, that's all he has to do and and the, the rest will be taken care of. It wasn't that he was feeling tantrumy or anything like that, he was just afraid, he didn't know what to do and that might mean, I don't know for him, might mean he'd get into trouble or it might mean, I don't know what his particular fear around that was, but that sense of soothing, that the, the logical left brain with some information, it loves information and it loves to learn and it loves things that make sense. So when it's got information like this that makes sense, it's much easier for the left brain to go, oh, okay, I'm willing to give this a shot. And then and then sort of step into the retraining that, that allows it to then change and shift. Um, and Jeanette, for you, I suspect that your left brain would happily go along with it because it it's used to you doing <clears throat> it's used to you doing seemingly crazy things and having them pay off. <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. You know, it's kind of like, like you trained your left you left trained your left brain that whatever it is Jeanette's whatever crazy thing Jeanette's trying to do going to try now. <laughs> Trust it, yeah. It's gonna work. <laughs> huh.
1: really, so I th- really helpful have, distinction. I th- for you to share with us. Thanks, Janet.
0: Um, you're welcome. Um, and so I I want to kind of, um, I just want to remind us all, I, I live in a very inclusive world where the science totally makes sense to me. I get all of this and I have no problem believing in angels and guides and, and helpers. And And I'm perfectly happy not knowing if they are really simply a manifestation of my own internal intuitive processes or an, an external voice. And I don't think it matters. Because I agree. It, what matters is, do I do I respect that intuition, which clearly is extremely accurate in humans. We know that our intuitive senses are really, really accurate. And what matters is that... I tr- I'm willing to trust them and I'm willing to train my left brain to go along f- along for the ride so that we become this, you know, we can use our brains in this holistic way rather than having kind of left brain versus right hand, uh, versus right brain, uh, like some, because that feels, that feels really stressful and struggly and resisty and, and just doesn't feel great. And judgy. And judgy, yes. Oh, yes. Wow, and of course, you know what goes along with this is to say that whether we're you know meditating or whatever it is we're doing, and if left brain decides to suddenly you know jump in and try and interrupt meditation, to just let go of the the, the idea that somehow this is a bad thing. I again, I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know the the thoughts that that pop up, they're just going to happen, and and the the and again we get to choose using our Fabulous human neocortex we get to choose whether to follow those thoughts or not, and when we notice we 've had a thought, we simply let it go and and that helps to train our brain for deeper and longer connection over a period of time and you know it's uh, our brain is it is like it 's like a really, really smart puppy it wants to learn. I don't know if you ever, if any of you guys, I used to live with a very, very, very smart Labrador and if he wasn't learning something new every day, he was the biggest pain in the butt to live with because he would get himself into mischief. And it's, our brains can be a bit like that as well. The, by allowing them to learn new things, learn new understandings, go deeper and longer and, um, and explore new horizons, we open up those horizons of possibility and we we, it's like we're giving our brains something really meaty to do, <laughs> and our brains love that. So hmm. when we're retraining, when we're retraining them to work with inner guidance and to really be our ally, they're going to step up. They're going to just go, "Oh, let me add it. I love this."
1: <laughs> so um, I just got to say, I love, I love your perspective on the brain, Janet. I can feel how much love and appreciation you have for it. And in a lot of spiritual circles, that isn't necessarily the case. So I'm really enjoying this call.
0: And i got to say, I, you know, I, I, it sort of makes me sad when I hear people condemn the brain as being somehow the enemy of spirituality. Because I think that when we understand it a little better, and certainly from what the research is revealing these days, uh it's anything but anything but our enemy it's um and like i said before being able to tell that story i think is i mean it makes me feel much better <laughs> to kind of think oh there's not a there's not a flaw in the system this is not a problem that i have to overcome it's just a, a new way to understand it so that i can work with it more in more enjoyably and more effectively mm-hmm.
2: Janet, I'm laughing because yesterday I had posted something on the Good Vibe uh, University Facebook page that was actually from Elizabeth Gilbert, the the writer, Uh Um, and it says, possessing a creative mind is like having a border collie for a pet. If you don't give it a job to do, it will find a job to do, and you might not like the job it invents. (laughs)
0: That was a good one. Exactly right. I didn't see that. I love that. It's a perfect analogy. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and, and I think we all have creative minds. I think the idea that, you know, some people are creative and others are not, it just means that their creativity is expressing in different ways. Um, you know, someone who works with numbers all day as an accountant, I worked with a guy a few years ago who he could look at a budget spreadsheet and he could, he could almost intuit what it meant. I, I would. I can look at numbers on a spreadsheet. I yes, I do numerology, but that's a completely different context. When it comes to accounting type numbers, I I have to use my left brain to plod through them. I don't have that that same creative spark around the numbers in that way. But he totally did. So we we all have different channels through which we exp, exp, express our creativity, whether it's visual or I mean, again, I think I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, but the notion that some people have creative minds and others don't, I think that's... I call bullshit on that. <laughs> um, so uh, that's pretty much it. That's that's sort of the core information I wanted to really convey. And, and I wanted to put it in the library so that people could look at it and look back at it and, and, and get the value of it. Um, any other questions or conversations or anything to be had? Oh, I do wonder, um,
2: because I also follow a lot of what the science is for heart math. And they sure. have, yes. their, their studies have come out and said, well, actually, the, the heart takes in much more information than the brain. And the heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. But I think there's a direct um, connection between the heart and the right side of the brain. Yeah. So the information goes from the heart directly to the right side of the brain, which is why the body is so aware before the left side of the brain yeah. kind of figures it out and catches on. But I wondered, exactly. if, I wondered if in your um, your brain research that they're combining or seeing the connection between the brain and the heart
0: um i haven't been been coming across a lot of that um but there is certainly um a, 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 you know there's so much there is so much research out there that you know um uh it's kind of hard to keep up with all of it but what i do think is interesting is that we know that the heart the 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 nervous center in the heart because the heart has its own brain and so does the gut that, mm-hmm. that they um, – and we have to remember that the heart is a muscle. So aside from, you know, the um, uh, the other sort of aspects of the heart, it's a muscle that has to keep a rhythm in in a linear fashion. So there is a relationship between the left brain and the heart, but it's not the same as the relationship between – because there's a lot of stuff going on in our right and left brain that we're never consciously aware of. Um and and that's that's how it should be. We don't want to have to remember to beat our heart every however many times per second. That would you, you know that way madness lies. Um, so uh, so there are sort of subsystems, if you like, going on that that regulate all of that. And the heart sends a lot of information to the brain about the requirements of the body in terms of you know circulation increases needed or oxygen. Balance in the blood because the heart 's linked to the pul- pulmonary system as well because of how it because you know the heart circulates two lots of bloods, it circulates blood through the lungs to pick up oxygen back to the heart, and then from the heart to the whole rest of the body to take the oxygen and then back to the heart again so it 's got this kind of it 's like a figure eight loop uh the circulation rather than a a, a, a circle if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so all, so there 's a lot of conversation going on. And the heart sends information to the brain about the the requirements it has as a muscle. Um, so in a in a way, it's like the brain doesn't need to send information to as much information to the heart because the heart's got its own managerial system. If you think about this isn't quite a perfect analogy, but if you think about it like an organization, you've got the brain kind of like, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to say managing director because... Acting (laughs)
2: acting president or something like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe if you're thinking about it like a way a university works, um, certainly in Australia, you've got the chancellor who basically, he kind of exists off campus. He doesn't really have the hands-on stuff, but he is a sort of, not exactly supervisory, but he's got this overarching, um, or she has this overarching view of everything and then you've got the, all these different systems within the body um, you, uh, which, are, which kind of manage things on their own and then they convey information to the brain. They report back to the brain and the brain doesn't do anything about it necessarily. It doesn't have to because it's, it's just monitoring if you like. So, for example, when I talked earlier about how when we cut our finger, there's a danger signal. What actually happens is we have these things called nociceptors, which are all over the body. It's part of our nervous system, and they're the, they're the danger sensors. That The nociceptor will send a signal back to a ganglion in our arm, which will assess the danger. And only if it believes it's dangerous, it will then send it on to another ganglion in the shoulder. And if, it, if, it, if that ganglion says, yes, this is cause for concern, it will then send a message to the brain. So it's actually, it's like it's got to go up the chain of command almost literally. And at each stage, any of those points can say, no, there's not real danger here. Ignore it. And so by the time it gets to the brain, it's been filtered. Um, and then the brain either decides to take action or, which is to send the pain signal, uh, which gets us to do something about it, uh, like put a Band-Aid on it, um, or it ignores it. Uh, so it's a really, it's like a really complicated orchestra. <laughs> Um, so the short answer to your question, Nancy, is no. I haven't done a lot of reading about it. Yes, it totally makes sense to me that um, that what they're finding um, relates to that. And yes, it, it so it totally makes sense that it relates to the right side, because we've got this right side that's noticing stuff, getting our body to respond. And of course, the heart has to be a a core part of that, because it's got to pump extra blood, it's got to get extra oxygen, it's got to do a whole bunch of things. Um, so yeah, it 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 all makes it all makes sense. I love yeah, I read, how all this stuff hangs together.
2: I I read somewhere that um, in Ayurvedic medicine they understood this connection and they would tell people to meditate with the tip of their tongue on the roof of their mouth because yes. there's something about the sensors at the tip of the tongue and where what it's con- it's like connected to the heart and then when you put your yes that tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth you're
0: you're making that that connection and yeah. yeah and you can you can sort of ex- you can prove that to yourself uh i don't know if you've ever had ice cream freeze you know uh, ice oh cream yeah, brain headache freeze. brain freeze <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. that's because the, the vagus nerve is it the vagus nerve or oh, no, you're testing my anatomy here it might not be i, I might have got the name wrong but there's a nerve at the top of your palate which has a direct connection to into this into the um into your head you know the this this um your brain, you don 't actually experience pain in your brain it doesn 't have um, the right sort of hardware for that, which is really <laughs> handy for people going through brain surgery um, but there 's a nerve at the top of the palate which is connected up in, higher up into your skull and when you you have ice cream at the, uh, it hits the top of your mouth, it can trigger off the brain believing that there is um extra tension throughout the muscles throughout your whole skull that's why you get this sudden massive kind of spike it feels like someone's driven a spike through your skull um, so that connection it's it's quite a you know it's quite a clear neurological connection which I think is really interesting because I've learned that one too Nancy about the tip of the tongue meditate you know when meditating yeah okay. um, now Thanks for anyone for who's listening to the call sorry say that again I said, thank you for
2: that. That's absolutely brilliant and it explains a lot because it's also a very sensitive part, I find, on the top of the yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, for anybody who's interested in this stuff and wants to know more, especially this stuff about how our brain delivers reality, um, uh, I have a book called Your Everyday Superpower, which goes into it in a lot more detail. I've sort of trawled through research and and, and put it together in my own <laughs> my own conclusions. Um and you can find that at
2: Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say this book as absolutely brilliant and um, thank you. yeah, I highly recommend it.
0: Oh, thank you for that. And I appreciate it. Um you can find it at your com, and you can find me at sweetreliefcoaching.com. <laughs> I think that's about it, unless anybody's got anything else they want to add.
2: do you have I any wouldn't... quick tips for us Janet, about uh use about using this information for um you know our b f f
0: uh you know yeah absolutely, yeah, do whatever Jeanette says
2: stock <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> <Please. laughs> <laughs> everything, Jeanette.
0: Everything Jeanette's been talking about throughout this whole month of of, of you know getting cozy with your ultra B, BFF, all of it is you know every single part of it will will change your brain. It will do. It, it's what I love about the brain science stuff is you don't have to do anything different. You just do use your manifesting tools, use your affirmations, whatever. All of those things they're changing your brain, and you don't have to. It's not an act of willpower. It's not an act of logical left brain, except the decision to do it and the decision to implement it. And left brain comes in too when we're doing things like designing a morning ritual for ourselves that will enhance our connection to inner guidance. We use left brain to kind of assess things like, I mean, I'm in the process of doing this at the moment, of designing my new morning ritual, and left brain for example, and part of the reason I have to do that is because my husband's changed his working hours, which means when I get up, he's still home. So suddenly all my rising <laughs> rituals have to change. I have to find a way to do it that isn't going to look like me because it, it doesn't feel good for me to say, see you, honey, lock the door and you know, send him on his way all on his own. That just feels mean. So designing a new ritual, my left brain needs to bring in the information about, okay, he gets up at such and such a time, he leaves at such and such a time. What things could I do that get me instantly connected without taking half an hour? Um, and so, right brain brings in the playfulness of going, Oh, what's going to be fun? and sort of going, suddenly recognizing, you know, that spark of that flash of insight, that flash of inspiration that says, Oh, let's do this next. Left brain comes in then and says, That was interesting. We liked that. So, we're going to put that in our morning practice. Um, but really, when it comes to connecting to inner guidance, just do what Jeanette says and you'll be fine. Absolutely, <laughs> and, <Susan> and, <laughs> and all the other wise people at GVU. Absolutely.
2: You know, I heard recently I was watching, it was part of the Neurosummit 3 that uh, Lisa Garr was doing last week. Uh, there was an expert who was saying that um, uh, essentially pure awareness, which I've talked about it at GVU extensively and have had many posts on it at GVU, that Essentially practicing just being quiet and scanning your body and just doing nothing, making no judgments, no decisions, no actions, just yep. scanning your body for a certain period of time every day on a regular basis will actually positively rewire your brain because the body, knows, the body knows exactly what's wrong and what needs to be tweaked and what needs to be fixed, and we'll just automatically do it, and we yeah. don't have to even – you know, worry about
0: the how. <laughs> exactly, I know. I amazing. love it. And what? I, I Me too. And what I love is because I think in our Western culture we're we're very obsessed with the left brain, and we and we we try and get poor old left brain. We've sort of taught it to to, to do everything. We've we've told it that you know it's our that when we're making a decision, for example, if the sort of the muggle way of doing it is. You you sit down and you do the pros and cons. It's very left brain, and left brain is great at some things, but it's not you know it's not fair to make it responsible for the things that it's not it's not especially good at. Mm-hmm. So when when we when we when we sort of change that, and 'cause, because you know again it's like left brain is the part that will say, "Ooh, this 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 pure awareness thing sounds interesting." Left brain is the one that says. I'm going to make it something I do at 8:30 every morning or whatever it might be. It's left brain that works out how to fit it into our day and how to um you know how to make sure that we do it, how to anchor it, give ourselves whatever anchors we need to get ourselves to do this new habit. And then and then we need to let it off the hook for the rest of it. So it's like yes, we use left brain to figure out how to how to how to build this into our daily Practice if that's what we're choosing to do, and then we let brain off. Uh, we let left brain off the hook and let right brain and our body, um, because our bodies, you know, there, there is a sense in which um, that connection between our right brain and our body is a very powerful one, and and it's a two way connection. You know, it's it's it, it. They resonate with each other, if you like. Um, yeah. So I think that's I think that's brilliant, Nancy. So. Yes, in terms of tips, all of the above. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cool. And thank you so much,
0: Janet.
2: Always
1: love your calls. I do too. This has been a great call. Thanks for bringing it, Janet.
0: Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for showing up. It's, um, it's always so fun. I love it. I love it. All right, I'm going to end. Oh, look, I've just had a look at chat. Oh, there's so many links here. Wow, it's really cool stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, thank you so much, everybody. I'm going to end the recording now.